Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Well, for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about facing your giants. What's your giant? What's troubling you? What's threatening you? Our text is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I read this week that at least 322 unique phobias have been identified in this country. Phobia comes from the Greek word for fear, and it refers to a panic completely out of proportion to the perceived threat behind it. Extreme cases of phobia can result in escalated anxiety, full-fledged panic attacks. And here's some of the top fear factors. Brontophobia. Brontophobia. That's not fear of brontosauruses. It's fear of thunderstorms. Interesting. Claustrophobia. Fear of being trapped in a small, confined space like a coffin. Now, that would do it. Arachnophobia. What's that? Spiders. That's the number one fear of people. Did you know that? The number one fear of people, including half of all women. And I have two of them here. Here are two other phobias. Maybe you can guess their definitions. Ecclesiophobia. That's fear of church. Homilophobia. Fear of sermons. So if you got those two fears, you're in trouble today, okay? So we've all experienced fear at one time or another, right? One person writes that fear is the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind. It's true. He said, I know that I have aquaphobia, an intense fear of water, as a result of watching one of my friends drowned when I was 18 years old. So many Christians never achieve their maximum potential in life because they never conquer the thing they fear the most. They don't start a business. They don't leave a bad job. They won't confront someone in a bad marriage. They won't deal with the issue of their health. They won't deal with the way they handle money and why they're always in trouble. They know, but they won't do for one reason, fear. They're always afraid that if I change, if I confront my fear, what I get will be worse than what I have. What a trick of the enemy to keep you living a limited life. You are supposed to confront that fear head on. It's a demon. It is not of God. It's not the culture. It is a demon. He said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. It's a spirit, but of love, power, and a renewed or sound mind. So you have to face it or you're going to be tormented by it forever. The nation of Israel had an intense fear that I call phobia. That's the fear of giants. I made that one up. Now, if you get it, you'll get the sermon today. Focus on your giant, you're going to stumble. You focus on God, your giant will tumble. Think about it. The Philistines were the arch enemy of Israel. They had gathered for war against God's people. Verse 3, it says the Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites on the other, with a valley in between them. So neither side wanted to come down into the valley where they could be vulnerable. So as we walk through this encounter, let me draw out seven strategies to help you and I go down into our valley and meet our fear head on. Principle number one, describe your problem. Describe your problem. 
In verse 4 through 7, we read about a Philistine champion named Goliath who was more than two feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Many commentators estimate he was anywhere from 9 to 12 feet tall. Now, he was decked out in body armor weighing 125 pounds. He was armed with a javelin and a spear. He also had a shield bearer out in front. So this mammoth of a man challenged the Israelites to a smackdown fight as he just belched out blasphemies against God. Have you ever noticed the enemy is always well-armed? In verses 8 through 10, Goliath lays out a challenge. He says, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. That word defy is used six different times in the paragraph. It means to treat with contempt, to scorn, to taunt, to ridicule, to humiliate. And what Goliath is proposing was very common in battle that day. It's a one-on-one contest, winner take all. Each side would send a representative to the valley, and the two would fight. If the Philistine won, then the Israelites would all surrender. If the Israelite won, the Philistines would all surrender. The problem was nobody wanted to fight the giant. In fact, according to verse 11, it says Israel was dismayed and terrified. Those are powerful words, which means broken and filled with fear. So this giant of a problem wasn't going to go away, and yours won't either. Not by ignoring it, you're going to have to face it. Verse 16 tells us Goliath had come out and challenged Israel 80 times. How do you get that, Rick? Every morning and every night for 40 days. So in the Bible, 40 is associated with periods of testing and trial. Israel was 40 years in the wilderness being a trial because they wouldn't go into the promised land because of fear. I wonder what it is God has for you. You'll never enter because of fear. I'm not good enough. I won't get the loan. They won't give it to me. I couldn't get that job. I'm not sure I could start that business. The economy's not that good. Things are not all that shaken around the country. Maybe this is not for me. On and on and on. But the real root is plain old F-E-A-R, fear, fear. And God said, I didn't give that to you. I've already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Shake it off. Come on, snap up. Get, get strong in the Lord. Get yourself girded up with some word so you can take the battle back against the enemy. See, the question before Israel was this. Are they going to run? Or are they going to put their faith in God and fight? Well, verse 24 tells us, they all ran away in great fear. And that's what most people do when there's a fight, a drama, they run away. One of the biggest ministries in the world had a problem and a setback. I've been a friend of that ministry for 35, almost 40 years. Casey Treat, who will be here in two weeks, was also involved in that. We were amazed how many thousands ran away and fled in the middle of a trial or a test. And that's what most people will do. You think you got a lot of friends? Just wait till there's an accusation. Wait till somebody says something and watch how many people run out on you. Yeah, it's just the dumbest thing for people. I, I just don't get, well, I'm afraid of what people think. Well, they don't think about you at all. What do you mean? What do they think? What do you think about yourself, you old coward? See, Chuck Swindoll, he wrote this. He says, intimidation is our major battle when you face a giant. He will intimidate you. You're not good enough, strong enough. He told David, you're just a little dog. You're nothing. 
And that's what the enemy will tell you. Who do you think you are? Or God, enemy will use people to tell you that. So what kind of giant are you guys facing right now? In what area do you feel most intimidated and overwhelmed? What problem is paralyzing you? What is the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing that fills your mind before you go to bed at night? See, your Goliath and mine doesn't carry a sword or a shield today. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, or depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. No, he prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings bills you can't pay, grades you can't make, people you can't please, whiskey you can't resist, pornography you can't refuse, a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, and a future you're afraid to face. That's our giant today. Describe your problem, but don't stay there. Give it a name, but don't live with any shame. David framed it this way. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Alcoholics Anonymous has been so successful for so many years because members have to put in words to the giant they're facing. Hi, my name is Al, and I'm an alcoholic. See, that's the first step. Now, let's move quickly to the next principle because we'll see that when we focus on our giant, we stumble, but when we focus on God, our giant will stumble. Principle number two, make sure you're prepared. Make sure you are prepared. So it's at this point in the story, we're introduced to David. He's the youngest of eight boys, and he's been out taking care of sheep. He was asked to run an errand by his dad because his three older brothers are out at the battlefield. So David's dad wants a report on how they're doing, and he also wants to send some supplies to his sons. So David delivers five pounds of roasted grain, 10 loaves of bread, and 10 chunks of cheese 18 miles from Bethlehem to the valley of Elah, and he runs all the way. You better get in shape. David was faithful in his task. Some of them were common. He did common things uncommonly. That's a key to promotion. Can you do an, well, I'm just greeting people. Well, I'm just passing out some bulletins. Well, I'm just uh, whatever. Can you do a common thing uncommonly? Because David did. He left those little sheep in the care of another shepherd. See, we also know from chapter 16 that he was prepared spiritually because he had been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And we need power from God in order to be courageous and to fulfill our purpose and destiny because there'll be many adversaries. You know, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but it's important to note that David's past experiences prepared him for this present challenge. See, when speaking to King Saul, He told him he had killed a lion and killed a bear. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. Now, incidentally, we know that David was from Wisconsin because he brought cheese to the front lines. We also know he played for the Packers because the Bible says he killed bears and lions and he's about to defeat the giants. Okay, you're a hard crowd. You're tough. (laughs) So draw on what God's done in your past. 
his past faithfulness and don't discount what God might be doing right now in your life. One commentator put it this way. This is often God's pattern for preparation. He calls us to be faithful right where we are and then uses our faithfulness to accomplish greater things for him. So David wasn't candidating for the office of king. God came and got him because he was faithful in what he was taught to do. God knows where you are. He knows every hair on your head. You don't have to self-promote. You be faithful where he put you. You be faithful what you have. God does the promoting. And boy, it takes a lot of stress off of you, all right? He's preparing you today for battles tomorrow. David didn't have any idea he'd be facing one of these Nephilim, these giants. He had no idea. The Nephilim were the prodigy of fallen angels cohabiting with the earth women and producing this race of giants that God ultimately had to destroy. So, oh, David, I mean, he doesn't look like much, but he's doing what he's supposed to do. And by the way, I know I tweeted the other day that everybody wants the front row in an event. Everybody wants to be first in the line. But David was chosen at the last of the line. He's the eighth born. So when God chooses people, he goes to the end of the line sometimes, not the front of the line. God knows where you are. Don't sweat it, all right? And you win the battle today because it'll be a key to your battle tomorrow or something else you'll have to face in the future. Be faithful to what he called you to do and be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Everything David accomplishes is through the Spirit of God. So make sure you're totally sold out. And one way you can publicly express your commitment to Christ is through water baptism right after this service. If you're a believer in Jesus, but you have not been baptized, you should immediately go out there. You don't need any clothing. We got everything. And it won't take but another moment to obey God. I urge you to do so. It doesn't make you a member of the church. So relax, okay? One other thought. Let's make sure we don't look down on young people today. Paul wrote these words to his young protege named Timothy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he writes, Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. David was a teenager, and he's about to tangle with a giant. David was chosen for his character, not his credentials. Didn't have any. See, he was chosen for his faith, not his physique. See, he knew this to be true. You focus on the giants, you're going to stumble. You focus on God, your giant is going to stumble. Third principle, overcome pressure from others. Overcome pressure from others. This is where fear comes in and intimidation. David arrives on day 40. He hears this giant cursing and boasting. In verse 25, he finds out that the king will give great wealth, also his daughter, and tax exemption to whoever kills the giant. <laughs> David said, say that again? He's going to give great wealth to king's daughter? You're going to be in a royal family and tax exempt. Woo! David just wanted to be sure he got that right. And David can't take the giant's this defiance any longer. So in verse 26, he declares, who is this uncircumphilistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, David's older brother got enraged, mad, basically told David, go back to your little cheese and your little lambs 
And look at verse 28. He goes on to say, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to watch the battle. I want to say, what battle? (laughs) 40 days and nobody done anything. And this guy's cussing you out and you just standing there. Can you hear how belittling this was to little David? Eliab is supposed to be a warrior, his brother. While David just takes care of a few sheep, he's trivialized. You know, he, he didn't take into account David's tasks. He, he minimized David's responsibilities in order to knock him down to size. He wasn't getting any support from his siblings. And I warn you, you'll be criticized by those often closest to you when you decide to defeat some giants in your life. Expect it and overcome it. Criticism is the tax on success. You know, when Satan lost his job in heaven and God threw him out, he had enough influence to talk and talk and lead a third of the angels away from their God-appointed position and destiny. And now their destiny is the lake of fire. Be careful who you listen to. Don't let people take you out of your place, your position, your assignment. God's promise of provision and protection are only in the place he assigned you. When you move that, now you, you, not God, you moved out from under his protection or guarantee of provision. Very, very dangerous. Some of you are experiencing incredible pressure from your family or friends right now. Instead of helping, you feel like they're hurting you because they are. If you want to face your giants, you better know who you are. You better know God. You better know where he's placed you so I can say, you do what you want. I'm going to do exactly what God's called me to do. You're going to face opposition. And don't allow negative comments to nullify what God wants to do in your life. Don't be a coward. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think a long time ago. We, we, had, a, we had a person on staff. It's nobody here. You wouldn't know him. Years and years ago. And I noticed every time I came to the office that he was in his office and was sleeping on the couch. And I thought, what's going on here? And I finally got him to speak to me privately. And apparently his wife had been bewitching him for years. And she would always, no matter what the discussion was, if it didn't go her way, she threatened to leave. She was going to pack her suitcase and leave. And that went on for years. I didn't know about it. He's sleeping at the office on the couch. Now, this is a godly man, a Christian man, a pastoral man, a man who didn't mistreat his wife, loved his wife, loved his children, was a good example. But he's being bewitched right here by by a, a Jezebel spirit. And I said to him, you go home. And the next time that happens, you pack her bag. You say, sweetheart, you go pack your bag, and I am going to drive you to the airport, and you get a one-way ticket. And I'm going to tell you, if people say things, if your character is questioned, that's where the church comes in. We will defend you. You can use us as a reference. You're a godly man, a godly husband. This was unrighteous and belittling and bewitching. You call her bluff, or you'll be tormented the rest of your life. And he did. And that was the end of it. Some of you need to do the same thing. 
you do it immediately. You confront and say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. This is going no further. You want to bewitch me? I call you. I'm calling you like poker. I'm calling you. Let's go for it. Make my day. But you have, listen, when Jezebel's spirit, rebellion and sedition rises, God's answer to Jezebel is Elijah. Strong authority will always triumph over witchcraft. Manipulation, intimidation in order to dominate you. That's witchcraft. I got a book called Witchcraft in the Church. Coming soon to a church near you. You need to learn how to recognize it. It's illegal authority, and God hates it, and it's called a sin. Jesus' own family spoke evil of him, said he's lost his mind. Come away from your position. Come away from your planning. Come with us, son. And he just told his family goodbye. He said, who is my mother and brother? Those that do the will of God. He didn't move from his position, and that's his own family. I love how David responds to his brother in verse uh, 29. He says, now what have I done? I love, this is what a younger brother would do. Getting browbeat by your big brother. And then David said, okay, Sparky, what have I done? Now what have I done? Something a young sibling would say. But then he comes back to truth in the last part. He says, is there not a cause? Hey, you guys aren't doing the job. You guys won't fight. Maybe I'm little. Maybe I'm unskilled as a warrior. I did kill a lion and a bear. I can handle a slingshot pretty good. I can't drive a tank. I don't know how to use an M1, but I know how to use a slingshot. And since you guys aren't even willing to try, at least don't degrade me for trying. I'll take him on. Now, here's the point. Allow the cause to overcome the criticism that you may face. See, related to this, stop blaming others. Start believing what God can do through you instead of finding fault with your family or your friends or your foes. You know, put your faith in a faithful God. He's faithful to what he called you to do. David was distressed by what his brother said, but he wasn't going to back down from what he was called to do. And after being bullied by his brother, Saul the king heard about David's courageous talk and sent for him. And in verse 32, it says, David said to King Saul, let no man's heart drop on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul tries to dismiss David's courageous talk. No, you ain't got a prayer. Don't talk like that. But David reminds Saul, look, I took down a lion. I took down a bear. Nobody was around. He had been up against the wall before. He had been to this rodeo. He had a t-shirt. He was confident. He was not cocky. Difference. Be confident in who God said you are. You're not cocky. You're trusting in what the Lord said and has done for you. Go to battle. Saul then told David, okay, go for it. He tried to give him his own armor, but it didn't fit. And David threw it away. Never try to fight your giant with somebody else's solution. Eliab was dishing on his brother. Saul dismissed him. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, he said, quote, the word battle in which David had to engage with his brothers and with King Saul was more trying ordeal than going forth in the strength of the Lord to kill the uncircumcised giant. Many a man meets with more trouble from his friends than from his enemies. And when he has learned to overcome the depressing influence of prudent friends, he can make short work of the opposition of avowed adversaries. So remember, you focus on the giant, you stumble. You focus on God, your giant's going to stumble. Principle number four, 
Can you hang on for another minute? Change your perspective. Change your perspective. Haddon Robinson once said, in any situation, what you are determines what you see. What you see determines what you're going to do. What do you see? So this is similar to the report the 10 spies brought back when they went to spy out the land. Remember in Numbers chapter 13, all the spies says, we saw the Nephilim. Those are the giants. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own sight. And we look the same to them. How you see yourself is how the enemy will see you. If I'm inadequate, I'm not enough, I can't do anything, I'm just a hopeless little worm, the enemy says, yep, you're right, I agree with you, amen. (laughs) He doesn't want you to see yourself the way God sees you. And I've had to learn, and you should learn over the years, how to start seeing yourself as a mighty warrior, as a conqueror, as more than a, a conqueror through Christ, not through our own flesh, but what Christ has done for it. I'm carrying some authority. I'm carrying some weapons. I can pray and expect stuff to happen. I can pray for somebody not doing well and expect a turnaround. I can rebuke the adversary, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Fight the good fight of faith. That sounds like a little bit of a sweat battle to me. And it may go on for a while, but you're not hopeless, you're not a victim, and you're not weak, and you're not uh, left alone by God. it's, It's time for some of you to make some harsh decisions and take on this adversary. We had a man years ago, a very good man. Uh, part of this church that owned his own business, and somebody uh, claimed to have received something through his product, uh, which was a lie, but he was threatening to use that to blackmail this person for money, and I think that had gone on for a year, getting paid money each month, and when he told me how troubling it was, I told him, you will immediately go to an attorney, you will immediately confront this guy and say, not a penny more, and we're going to court, and I'm going to take you on there. It ended the whole thing. It ended the whole thing. I said, you've got to call this bluff. This is illegitimate. It's illegal. You're a good man. He's threatening to say things that aren't true so people online will believe it. Don't believe everything you read online. Okay? Just be careful. Be careful. Uh, I was going to tell you something my grandfather used to say, but I won't. Okay. Everybody thought Goliath, who was part of these giants, the Nephilim, is just too big to take down. David saw him too big to miss this sucker. I got a big margin of error here. This guy is huge. If you see yourself as a victim, that's how you'll react. If you see yourself as not good enough, not talented enough, not resource enough, then that's how you'll respond. You won't even try. And that's the worst sin of all, not even to try. See, if you're paralyzed by fear, you feel hopeless about the future, it's time to change your perspective. Focus on giants, you're going to stumble. Focus on God, that giant will tumble. Principle number five, proclaim God's name. Proclaim God's name. When Goliath came closer to David, saw he was just a kid, a teenager, he despised him. And he boomed out boldly in verse four. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You know, it's like the toothpick versus the tornado, the mini bike attacking an 18-wheeler, the toy poodle taking on a Rockwilder. That's what it looked like. After taunting him, he called out a curse on David and declared that he would feed him to the birds and the beasts. David now does something nobody else in Israel had thought of doing. He took God off the shelf, and he introduced the Almighty into the equation. 
He alone was concerned about God's honor and the people's reputation. See, have you introduced God into your equation? Oh, I know you believe in him, but have you brought his name up in your battle with your giant, or have you left him up on the shelf? I love David's response in verse 45. He says, listen carefully for the name Jehovah Sabaoth. He says, quote, the God of power. That's what Jehovah Sabaoth means, the God of power or the commander of the armies of heaven. So his little teenage voice is probably crackling. He says, you come against me with a sword and a spear, a javelin and social media, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Doesn't matter about me. You have defiled God. You are in deep yogurt, big boy. David then describes in great detail what he's going to do to Goliath, and he declares in verse 47, all those gathered here today will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord delivers, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So the wrestling match really is over right here. Goliath, the gladiator, he's as good as dead. In Amos 4, verse 13, it describes the name of God in a little better detail. He who forms the mountains creates the wind and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Sabaoth, is his name. See, when we truly understand the name of God, you're never going to view him quite the same again. He's got unlimited power unbridled might, untarnished glory. He is impossible to describe. He is indescribable to imagine. In contrast to Goliath, God is the creator of the world. He sustains it. In him we live, move, and have our being. If you want to minimize your Goliath, you better magnify your God. Shout him out. Lift him up. No one else discusses God. David discusses nobody else but God. See, he sees what the others don't see and refuses to see what they see. David majors in God. He sees the giant, of course. He just sees God bigger and more powerful. He has a little history for that. If you were to count the number of times David makes a statement about a Goliath, you'd find only two. Now listen to the number of times he refers to God. He says, the armies of the living God, verse 26 the armies of the living God, verse 36. The Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, verse 45. The Lord will deliver you into my hand that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel, verse 46. The Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands, verse 47. David refers to God nine times in those passages compared to only two for Goliath. I think we'd all experience a lot more victory if our God thoughts outnumbered our Goliath thoughts, four to one. See, this week, try to think about God four times as much as you think about your problems. Focus on his faithfulness, always from your past first, and then what he declares in his word instead of your fears, because what you focus on is what you're going to move towards. If you want to fillet your fears, remember, it is God who fights for you, and the only way to face your giants is through faith in God. If you're not fighting, I don't know, don't think you're alone. Maybe that's how I want to say it. Don't think you are fighting alone. David states very clearly in verse 26 that he is the living God. 
As that song goes, the battle belongs to the Lord. Verbalize your confidence in God. Say his name out loud often. Enemy hates that name. It'll help your words become real. See, measure the giants you face against the greatness of your God. Don't measure against yourself. We're not enough. Of course we're not enough. So I want to put God into the equation. See, to David, the giant was an opportunity to know God better, not an obstacle to his faith. Focus on giants, you stumble. Focus on God, your giants tumble. Number six, almost done, be proactive. Don't procrastinate. To decide to delay is to decide to deny. David decided he had to do something, good or bad, against this problem right then and there. So he picked up what he was familiar with. What was he good at? Slingshot. That's how that staff and slingshot got him a lion, got him a bear, and probably a lot of uh, coyotes and all kinds of critters. He got good out there in that little nowhere, man, uh, place unnoticed and uncelebrated. But out there, he was sharpening his skill. Little did he know that was going to pay off. Well, he found five smooth stones, and he went out now to take on the giant. And those stones were smooth, I think, aerodynamically, because they fly through the air better, less drag, smooth. Some have wondered why David chose five stones. And I know the, the story. Perhaps it was because Goliath had four brothers, and if they decided to get in the fight, he would take them down. Preach is real good. I think it was because in case he missed. You, you, you have your own thoughts about it? I think he had some backup. When I was young, I used to go deer hunting with my dad, and he used to always say he only needed one slug to take down a deer. And as I got older, I realized that while that was often true, he always filled his clip with four or five more rounds. The principle is use what you have. Augustine once said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. God will use you, and he won't do anything without you. So until you make this move, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. You can cry. You can counsel. You can sit in church till Jesus comes back. Nothing will happen until you face that giant. And the moment you get up and start towards it, that's when God activates his supernatural power. See, in David's eyes, God was the giant. Goliath was Bambi. He was also confident in Jehovah Sabaoth as the commander of the armies of heaven that the Bible says he ran quickly towards the battle, towards Goliath, to meet him head on. So if you want to be victorious, you better take the fight to the enemy. In our jargon, we would say today, game on. You can't just sit back and just hope it's going to get better on its own. And with one stone from his sling, he slew the giant. Do you know that's the first time that anything like that had entered Goliath's head? <laughs> Think on that one. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you will prosper, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. How long since you ran towards your challenge? See, we tend to retreat, duck behind a desk, crawl into a nightclub or a distraction somewhere, a bed of forbidden love. For a moment, for a day, maybe a year, we feel safe, insulated, maybe anesthetized, but then the work runs out. The liquor wears off. The lover leaves, and we feel Goliath again, booming and bombastic. See, try a different track. 
outrush your giant with a God-saturated soul and God's word in your mouth. Giant of divorce, you are not entering my home. Giant of depression, it may take me a while, but you will not conquer me. Giant of alcohol, giant of bigotry, you're going down. How long since you loaded your sling and took a swing at your giant? So at what point did Goliath die? Was it when David cut his head off? No, not really. Well, it must have been when the stone hit him. No, I don't even think then. Was when he picked up the five smooth stones? No. Was it when he told Goliath what he's going to do to him? Not really. Goliath was a dead man when we read in verse 40 that David ran towards Goliath. At that moment, he started towards Goliath. He was dead meat already. Faith is not talking about the giant, praying about the giant. Faith is taking the first step towards the giant. The other day I was talking to someone and she wondered what she should do about a complicated situation. And my answer was this, just take the next step. You might not know what the third step is yet, but you know what the next step is, take it. Then God gets involved and he'll show you the next step. But until you take that first step, nothing will change. It's time, folks, to face your fear. Look your enemy in the eye. Run away no more. Take the next step. Focus on giants you stumble. Focus on God. The giant tumbles. And last, number seven, profess your faith in God's champion. Profess your faith in God's champion. Goliath is called a champion in verse four. The Hebrew word means man between, middleman, mediator. Just as he was a representative for the Philistines, God's ultimate champion is Jesus Christ, the son of David, who is our mediator. Doesn't that what Paul says to Timothy? For there's only one God and one mediator. It ain't Peter. It ain't Paul. It's not Mary. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So when Jesus won the battle against Satan at the cross, those who he represented, just like Goliath represented the Philistines and David represented Israel, they, they end up in the same victory. In other words, Israel didn't fight the victory. David did. But because they were on the same team, they all got the victory. Well, when we accept Jesus, we're on his team. We're adopted sons and daughters of God. And there's some actually pretty cool comparison between David's victory and Jesus' victory. Notice, both were born in Bethlehem. Both fought when their enemy was able to dominate through fear. Both were sent to the battlefield by their father. Both were rejected and scorned by their own brothers. Both fought a battle where the victory was assured before it started. Both disarmed the enemy and rendered him powerless. So if you're a Christian, Jesus is your champion. That means you are fighting battles that have already been won at the cross because Jesus triumphed over death, hell, and the grave and over Satan himself. He says that Satan is still prowling around like a roaring lion trying to put fear in you. But remember that the right man is on our side. He's won the battle. He's our champion. So lift your eyes, giant slayer. Go down into the valley and employ these seven tactics against your giant. Describe your problem. Be honest. Make sure you're prepared. Overcome pressure by others. Change your perspective. 
Proclaim God's name. Be proactive and profess faith in God's champion. See, who are you listening to? You can listen to the voice of the giant or you can listen to the voice of truth from God's word. Be faithful, not fearful anymore. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.